0: Important, I think for people to understand that the DSM-5 is just one way of looking at things.
1: I am fine with dissociating the natural at psychedelics. I thought that I had died. No, I'm a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Welcome to Manic in Miami. This is Holly, and today we have a special episode. I'm here with Dr. Scott Fisher who is leading clinical trials and psychedelic research at Siegel Trials in South Florida in Broward County. So welcome, thank you so much for being here, first of all. Thank you for
0: having me, Holly. Thanks. Um, my name is Scott Fisher. I am a psychiatrist and I am the lead facilitator, trainer and clinical program manager at the Center for Psychedelic Research uh, at Siegel Trials. And our trial site is located in Lauder Hill, Broward County, Florida. Um, so I started my psychiatric career officially in 2014. Um, I worked in a group private practice in Broward and Palm Beach counties uh, for six years, and then operated my own solo private practice for two years before coming on full time here at Siegel in the current role that I just mentioned. Um, so, in addition to extensive, you know, private practice, you know, and, and clinical work, and just sort of general psychiatry. Um, I've done specific trainings in psychedelic therapy and research, and my I have a lot of interest in that field in psychiatry and psychedelics uh, for mental health in general. Yeah. But my real specialty is in the psychological support, psychotherapy, the set and setting that is usually used as a part of the psychedelic studies and treatments. Uh, yes. That, uh, is really prevalent today.
1: Right. I would like to disclose that I have done psychedelics. I have done ketamine therapy for bipolar depression. I know that I would be excluded from the 5 meo DMT study, but I found that to be just absolutely a mind-blowing, powerful experience. I'm sort of curious, and I wonder if your listeners might be curious if you did want
0: to share any more details about that experience.
1: Um, Let's see. I had a pretty large dose of it. Um, My friend actually dosed me. She uses um, an environment that is modeled on traditional medicine and indigenous communities, but she does not go by the term shaman. You know, she's a a Caucasian woman. And um, so she set this whole scene for me, which was important using, you know, feathers and music and drums, blankets, pillows, um, different I guess, sage incense, I can't remember, and fans and things like that. And then gave it to me in this very ceremonial um, way. And then shortly after inhaling it, it was a vapor, I guess it's powder form. And I inhaled it um, and held it in a couple of times. And I just fell back onto the pillow and was absolutely out. And she was watching me the whole time. She was hovering over me. It only lasted about 20 minutes. I mean, to me, it felt like a couple of days. I had no sense of time. Yeah.
0: Are you able to describe or put into words what it was like when you were in that state for the 20 minutes?
1: Yes. I absolutely had what's called an ego death, um, which is a complete, um, I guess, dissolution of self and of ego of the personhood that, that we know. And my experience was... First of all it was very dark. It's not what you think of as colorful, you know, rainbows and patterns. It was very dark. There were some dull kind of burnt orange, brownish sort of psychedelic patterns and I interpreted them as spirits who were coming down and you could see them. They started small as if they were flying down from the darkness, from a dark sky to speak to me. And I could understand what they were saying, but it's not that they were speaking in words. It's just that they were somehow communicating through their movement or something. And the and the communication I got was um, there is this this kind of light, this one energy, and we would like to take you there. And do you want to go? I will disclose that uh, my friend called me a natural at psychedelics because. I am fine with dissociating. There's no problem surrendering. It's, for me, it's like, okay, take me away. Like no problem. I know some people really fight it. And so I didn't at all. I said, okay. And this happened probably within an instant, but in my memory, I told them, yes, I'll go. Um, and I, I went and it was almost as if a vacuum kind of zapped me up. And at the top I saw this very bright, glowing white light. And from there, I can't explain it, but I ceased to exist um in my own self and personhood. And there was this feeling of joining a an energy that we're all part of. And um it's that's it's impossible to describe that really. It's so difficult to describe. And when I guess I came out of that, first of all, I thought that I had died. I thought I experienced death and it was very similar to the way people have described near death experiences and when i started coming out of it you would think i would be terrified but i wasn't i was so at peace and i so slowly came out of it and i was kind of crying tears of happiness and then i could you know sit up and move again and there was this wonderful music on actually i made the playlist and i have it on spotify um and it was just, I don't, it changed everything really because even though I had had a few psychedelic experiences in the past, it really um, did instill this deep compassion and this peacefulness about the inevitable death that we will have one day. And I, you know, had no fear of death. I used to think about death all the time and get kind of scared. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I say I don't have much anxiety, but I have major anxiety about death. And after that experience, I didn't. And um, I still have that experience in me. So it was a long-term impact. When was this you did it? um, I did this in October of 2021. So almost two years ago. Yeah, and I still have that, that in me. I think about it sometimes, and it's a very good memory, but... Um, I understand why some people might fight it a little at first because it's scary, you know, and you're being asked to basically die and and surrender yourself. And it does, it does turn out to be this profoundly um, spiritual experience that is very positive. And I know that psilocybin can be used at end of life to kind of take away the fear of death for people or people with terminal illness And it did the same thing. Mm. It completely took away the fear of death and reminded me that all of the horrible things that happen in the world and what we're doing to, you know, our environment and um, plant life, animal life, and of course, to other humans and what we have done historically. For me, I had the sense that all of that goes away and we join this like pure energy where none of that exists anymore. Does that Mm. make sense?
0: yeah that is such a beautiful description. just want to say thank you and mm-hmm. give appreciation for describing that um because it sounds so powerful yeah and um you know also uh really want to honor it. sounds like you know in terms of the integration, you really found some new perspectives yeah um that it seems like you I really highly value yeah. some of these shifts in perspective. And um, yeah, I guess I'd be curious if there's any other aspects of, you know, I mean, those shifts in perspective are already so valuable that perhaps there aren't any other aspects of integration that have come up for you. But if there are any, I think also that would be really interesting to hear.
1: Yeah, I actually also had another 5-MeO DMT experience with a smaller dose. And I can say with both of those, I had this experience of um, forgiving people who I really believed, you know, had wronged me. And I had the right to be, you know, have this very negative attitude toward them. And I was kind of thinking it from thinking about it from sort of a one sided, of course, like a little bit of a selfish perspective, maybe victimizing myself and and not being fully able to assess the situation from the other person's perspective. And I feel that it opened again, it just changed the way my brain was wired to think about a particular situation. And I had this great empathy and actually ended up asking for forgiveness uh, from these people because I felt that maybe my response and reaction to a certain situation was unwarranted and and unfair. So that was an interesting thing too
0: yeah i'm really really glad you you share that it also sounds like a very powerful um gift you know you gave to them but also that you gave to yourself um i think you know yeah in in our psychedelic sessions we um many of us learn that you know the way that we're approaching certain problems um sometimes Mm -hmm. really entrenched beliefs or certain resistances um they're their methods of trying to really protect ourselves and promote our well-being. Um, but it turns out that paradoxically, those coping mechanisms aren't working very well for us or those around yeah. us. And sometimes we have to do what can feel not intuitive. So, for instance, forgiving when you feel very wronged um, can feel dangerous and unsafe, mm-hmm. unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, but many people find that when they do that, it actually is very liberating yes. um, and healing. Uh, even if just for themselves, you know, yeah. and often for the people who they're in relationship with. Um, and, you know, similar sorts of things with, you know, sometimes with depression or anxiety, people will often resist and just want to suppress those emotions and make them go away. Yeah. We find that paradoxically, when people let that pain in mm. and acknowledge it, mm-hmm. become aware of it, and try and greet it with some level of like compassion and understanding, that there's less suffering. So this is kind of a bit of a, a Buddhist concept that you know pain is inevitable yeah. in life, but suffering can be minimized by, by becoming less attached to not having that pain or having to have certain things in our lives um, to compensate for that pain or to, to feel happy. Um, so we often will use that concept um, in our preparation, dosing and integration session, sessions is to allow pain in um, and to release attachment um to you know certain aspects of that so that your suffering is reduced
1: and i could also mention one other very powerful psychedelic experience i had while i was in a very very uh deep depression Um, and i had suicidal ideation all the time i had anhedonia i isolated myself which makes things a lot worse rumination all of those things and i just felt worthless and hopeless as a person um in this depressive episode. And I used psilocybin to try to maybe to do something. And I I used a very small amount, almost like a mini just more a little more than a microdose. And for some reason I had this out of body experience on a small dose. I have no idea why. But I went to this place where I guess it was kind of a heavenly place. And it was very colorful. I was really, I was tiling myself, I learned how to lay tile. And so I was really into tile. And I was, I had looked at all of these pictures of the pink mosque in Iran. And I went to this place where there were cascading pink tiles that were building the pink mosque around me. And there were like Hindu deities there, for some reason, who I was speaking to, they said they would brought my pets in and they were like, there's, you know, your cat and your pet, your omestics. And they said, it was such a joyful place. They said, do you want to stay here? As in, do you, this is, you can just die and stay here. And I told them it's very tempting, but now that I'm here, I hope that I can come back someday, but I think I want to go back
2: mm.
1: to earth. I think I want to go back to, you know, the material world that I lived in. And I had gone into it being um, on the brink of, you know, having suicidal thoughts. And I went back and my cat was tapping on my head. Maybe that's why she appeared in there. Mm. And I don't know. And I was happy to be there. And it completely, cha- its it was incredible. It just completely changed everything. It just re- invigorated a an appreciation for life
0: yeah well that's that's so powerful and just thank you again for sharing about your experiences because I okay. think it really um, makes this sort of discussion and conversation so much richer when we get to move from sort of the abstract yeah um, and you know the data and the science and move into really the personal narratives um, that's where I think the storytelling uh, yeah can really uh, you know to me it's even more powerful sometimes than scientific
1: data and I, I think that it also kind of uh, made me ponder the idea of consciousness and the mind over um, constantly looking at the neuroscience and yeah I, I
0: agree um, psychedelic experiences can often invite us to welcome in paradox yeah to you know looking at you know Maybe different ways of looking at things that can sometimes feel mutually exclusive and Mm -hmm. actually invite well maybe it's both and rather than either or so from sort of the subject object you know duality which has been you know such a you know huge thing in philosophy and you know it's often you know there's undercurrents of that discussion that get brushed under the rug i would say not to mix my metaphors and um in psychiatry where uh, oftentimes there's, you know, real heavy emphasis on wanting to look at objective data. Um, But at the end of the day, I always make the point that, you know, people come to treatment not because they found out there's a problem in their brain that needs to be fixed, but they're experiencing a problem in their mind. Trying to find correlates in terms of objective data, you know, the neuroscience, neurotransmitters and chemicals, etc., I think is valuable. But at the end of the day, what we're really trying to treat is the person and their experience of their yeah. life.
1: Um, thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Two notes on that. There is a psychoanalyst, Nancy McWilliams, who I don't know if you know who she is, yes. but yeah. She said that people don't come into therapy because of um exactly what you said, This these symptoms that are listed in the DSM, they come in for personal problems and things that are affecting their lives. This diagnosis um, at some point is fundamentally not meaningless, but doesn't matter as much as your individual experience, which is hugely varies from person to person as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's so interesting you bring Nancy up. But I did not expect our oh, really? conversation would turn to her. She she wouldn't remember me, but she uh, gave her grand rounds when um, I was in training oh, yeah. in Northwestern in my psychiatric training. I love her, and I was extremely impressed by you know the subtlety and nuance and knowledge base. Yeah, she's you know in my opinion a, a kind of a living legend in contemporary psychoanalysis. Yeah, and in terms of diagnosis. She wrote a book, I believe it's called Psychoanalytic Diagnosis, yes, and yeah. um, you know, it's just important, I think, for people to understand that the DSM-5 yeah. is what has used these labels, generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, etc., and understand that the DSM-5 is just one way of looking at things, yeah. and maybe for many people, really not the most important way of understanding how they function
1: somehow it's ingrained to focus so much on the diagnosis itself. What are are you, are you bipolar or do you have bipolar disorder? No, I'm a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like what difference does it make? (laughs) Like really? Yeah. You know.
0: We're very far from understanding, you know, how these are sort of medical diseases or illnesses per se or not. Um, And, but in terms of like really having a coherent picture of say, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, and sometimes, you know, in psychiatry and mental health, I think there is just sort of a general sense in the public and even sometimes a general sort of um, assumption of by psychiatrists and therapists, etc., that we know a lot more than we actually do about the science and the objective side of these problems. Yeah. Um, and that can be dangerous sometimes. We don't know yet, you know, exactly who would benefit from psychedelics and maybe who should not take psychedelics and yeah. how to you know maximize uh, you know effectiveness and efficacy mm-hmm. for as many people as possible with these and also minimize safety risks you know not to necessarily give people any specific advice about their problem but just to try and spread as much awareness about you know the potential benefits of psychedelics but also the potential risks that we're still trying to learn a lot more about. I
1: think of you know the musician Nick Cave. His son, I think now several years ago, took LSD and jumped off a cliff and died. And so I think people hear one or two horror stories like that and and kind of just write it all off. Sounds like I've done psychedelics a lot, but I actually haven't. Um, But when I was very young, I tried LSD and I went straight into psychosis. There was a time that I did a small amount MDMA. Everyone was fine except me. I went straight into psychosis. Yeah, I
0: mean, I'm glad you mentioned that you've had both good and bad experiences with psychedelics. And regardless of who we are and, you know, what diagnoses we may or may not have been given, um, most people Mm -hmm. who've taken psychedelics have had both good and bad experiences. Could someone with bipolar disorder do okay with maybe a really short-acting, you know, psychedelic, like a 5-MeO DMT that's in and out, you know, in 20 minutes? Is there less risk of, say, provoking mania? with that versus, say, LSD, which can last 12 hours or more. We don't know the answer right. to that question. Also, you know, the different psychedelics sometimes have overlap in terms of what they're doing with the neurochemistry, what kind of receptors, you neurotransmitters, know, et cetera, are being affected. Um, but there's also key differences. And so are there certain types that, you know, might be better for certain sorts of problems and others that should be avoided? And, you know, a lot of the psychedelic research that has happened, you know, in the last 20 years or so has been sponsored by nonprofits who have gotten charitable donations to support their research. Oh, right. um, the U.S. government, um, up until recently, was not supportive no. with any sort of grants. I think because of the promise that of the research supported by nonprofits like MAPS, yeah. like the Hefter Research Institute, like the USONA Institute, as a result of you know their research, now we are starting to see some changes from government And actually seen some awards coming from you know those major institutions the research also a lot of the uh, current psychedelics that we want to research are on schedule one by the DEA um, and basically means it's very highly restricted even for research purposes so if we are able to get some rescheduling either as a result of kind of changes in our regulatory bodies viewing you know whether these should have been put on schedule one in the first place MDMA clearly has a medical use uh, because, you know, it's followed, you know, the FDA structured sort of process for, you know, proving that, um, then those might be able to be moved off of schedule one and into a less restricted controlled substance category where research might be easier, uh, more easily done at a lot of institutions.
1: I have a question related to trauma. For example, if you have trauma from your childhood that you've repressed, Very much, and maybe you, there are pieces that you can't remember at all. Is it possible for those memories to come up, kind of like a deep psychoanalysis with things like trauma responses and mind body responses to these traumatic events that have happened, like child um, CSA, child sexual abuse, or something like that?
0: Yeah, there's definitely, you know, anecdotally a lot of reports of people during, you know, psychedelic sessions having repressed memories yeah. you know come to the surface. Okay. Um so from that standpoint there is a lot of work and research being done on what sort of trauma informed you know psychotherapy methods might be employed you know during psychedelic therapy and in integration sessions afterwards to help support people who even if it's not a repressed memory but if the trauma just figures greatly into you know yeah. their their journey and their experience of the psych, their psychedelic dosing so there's sort of a balance between not leaving them hanging with this trauma memory and just like, okay, now I remember this terrible thing that happened, now what? Yeah. Um, so we don't necessarily want to do that. A lot of times people can follow their own intuition of what needs to go into the healing yeah. of their trauma. And we also want to allow for that too. So there is a group called MAPS yeah. um, that uh, is pretty far advanced in their clinical trials of MDMA assisted therapy to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. So as part of their training protocols, they often do um, have certain types of, uh, you know, theoretical backgrounds used. The premise that a lot of trauma is stored in certain aspects of the body. Yeah. Um, and that so the body really needs to be a focus and emphasis in working historically. We always haven't done a good job of recognizing how uh, kind of our mental health is experienced in the body and
1: not just in our minds. Like hypervigilance, um, when you're, you know, someone surprises you to say hello or does this, and yes. your trauma response is to just completely jump and scream. Yes. Um, at, so those kinds of things can be sort of correct through PTSD, psychedelic integration.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the MAP studies have shown that people's PTSD scores can drastically reduce My experiencing... Terms. Um, You know, memories, flashbacks, nightmares, um, hypervigilance is uh, definitely a big one. There's some other kind of domains that we sometimes look at.
1: Now, um, many people have the out-of-body kind of dissociative experience. So with people who are accustomed to dissociating, might that be kind of easier for them to surrender as a result of the dissociation? I heard that people with borderline personality disorder who often have um, problems with their identity and having a a solid identity can um, have some problems and actually not reap benefits from things like ketamine therapy precisely because they don't want to lose the self. They're trying to find the self. I spoke to a woman who did ketamine therapy and has borderline personality disorder. And she said that it made her more depressed. I just thought that was very interesting. So the dissociation and that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think those are such excellent questions. Ah. And, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) this is where, uh, you know, as a physician, I like to be very clear uh, about answering that we don't know. The answers to those okay, questions. Yeah, uh, I think they're interesting to think about and probably could help inform future research. Uh,
1: but I did want to ask you um, about the preparation and the integration. I felt very comfortable having a woman do it in the non-medical setting, um, and I think that was also specific to me and my, you know, hesitation and anxiety about completely dissociating with someone I didn't know. Especially, you know, with a man. So, I wondered what exactly takes place during the preparation psychotherapy.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it is, you know, certainly, you know, worth considering, you know, for people who are wanting to, you know, do a psychedelic or participate in a study. So, I think, you know, people just really thinking carefully about, you know, those aspects um, if they are considering doing something like this is is critical. Um and like I mentioned, you know, preparation and integration, if you look at our studies, it's relatively circumscribed because the nature okay. of studies is to follow certain protocols. Okay. We are a clinical trial site, which means that we are usually, for a lot of our studies, one of many sites around the country following the same protocol. Okay. And so we try and have a certain level of standardization between those different sites about what's being done to help with the validity of the data. Right. I think we very much openly acknowledge that there could be much better ways of doing it and many different ways of doing it. So, you know, our preparation sessions, um, you know, this is, these are different than other drug trials in that we are offering psychological support and yeah. therapy. Um, so to that end, we do think that a person's narrative, their personality, their psychological coping mechanisms, their strengths, um, you know, is, are important to be really acknowledged and made more aware of, both for the sake of the participant mm-hmm. and also for the therapist to be able to know about that person so a lot of um, you know physical exam, laboratory work, careful sort of mental health and physical health evaluations done as part of the screening process. Okay. But in terms of the kind of the psychological support, psychotherapy preparation, um, we really just ask people to tell us everything about their Mm -hmm. lives as much as possible with, you know, certainly no expectation that they go into details that they don't want to go into, but from, you know, even what their parents' lives were like before, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had them uh, more about their heritage, how their mother's pregnancy was with them, everything about their family dynamics growing up. We definitely ask for, you know, their key life events. And then in terms of, you know, other parts of the preparation, like I mentioned, we really, you know, tell them about, say, it's a study for psilocybin, you know, which is found in uh, a variety of mushrooms, you know, that grow around the world. Um, we tell them, okay, here's some information about psilocybin. Here are some things that could, could potentially happen, you know, physically in your body when you take psilocybin. Here's, you know, what happens, you know, potentially in your mind or emotionally. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that there are people that have, you know, really, uh in those altered states of consciousness experiences that are maybe very different than their normal day-to-day consciousness which might sometimes be called spiritual experiences yeah. mystical experiences transpersonal experiences mm-hmm. other sorts of non-ordinary so to speak states of consciousness a lot of different things can happen yeah. and this is where we start to teach them certain like uh kind of techniques towards approaching mm-hmm. um you know their dosing sessions you know, invite them to Uh, use an attitude of really like surrender to whatever experience is going to happen to them Um, and to really just kind of instead of trying to resist or run away from challenging experiences or things that they uh, sometimes don't feel safe to explore um, psychologically this study might be a good opportunity to actually become curious and open um, and you know see if you can really um, embody attitudes of kind of compassion and self-awareness because we think sometimes people's symptoms quote unquote are actually information trying to, you know, transmit something to the person yeah. and that if they're trying to really avoid the experience of those, you know, symptoms, then the message is still going to try and, you know, the body's still going to try and put that through until the person really fully experiences the message. You know, psychedelic treatments really started to be used in western medicine's in the 1950s and 60s. There mm. actually were 40,000 or more Research research subjects dosed with a variety of psychedelics, uh, mostly LSD, but some others back in the 50s and 60s. Um, That research was shut down uh, for regulatory reasons uh, in 1970 and was mostly, we think now, for political reasons rather Mm -hmm. than truly scientific reasons. There is a tradition in the Western medicine of using um, kind of a period of preparation For psychedelic treatments where the therapists meet with the participants in our study or the people who are going to take the journey Um, so the preparation is really just a chance to develop a rapport and comfort level uh, with each other which is you know really important in all aspects of medicine and psychotherapy but we think is particularly important in psychedelic psychotherapy so that there's a big emphasis on developing that therapeutic rapport all our dosings are done in a very comfortable living room like setting at our center where you know the therapists are with them the entire time, okay. Really monitoring their safety yeah. and also supporting them psychologically and emotionally. Uh, we really encourage people to try to see if they can go into sort of an interior, introspective space. Right. Um, and then we usually do what are called integration follow-up sessions mm-hmm. afterwards, where we spend some time um, talking about the journey and talking about their dosing experience. It seems to be the very likely um, that. After a psychedelic journey, there's a period of neuroplasticity where the brain is maybe open to more open to making certain changes, Um, really delineating that further in scientific terms. Um, I can try to do, but uh, the long story short is there's so much we still don't know, but sometimes like an analogy is used like. Uh, well, here in Florida, we don't always uh, have this experience, but, uh, you know, in places where there's snow, if there's like, you know, tracks kind of built into the snow okay, and you're like skiing or sledding or something like you just kind of keep following that groove most of the time. And it's kind of yeah. hard to jump that groove. Um, and we think that maybe that's the case in the brain for a lot of people mm-hmm. and maybe also in the case with depression, mm-hmm. OCD, eating disorder, where people get trapped in these ruminations or behavioral habits yeah and so the psychedelic we think might be sort of like a freshly fallen snow and give a bit more ease in terms of jumping some of those grooves and creating a new path new pathways but that's why the integration is important because the grooves are still somewhat there and so it usually requires some intention and support and that's most people come into the study with intentions of making some sort of change so the integration is there to help support you know, uh, perhaps that period of neuroplasticity
1: that, that occurs. Thank you. That was very informative. That was, that was great. I think that was such a great analogy about the snow. That makes so much sense. Could you talk a little bit about the studies that you're conducting and how people can participate? How do you determine um, whether or not they have these problems?
0: One good way is to go to our website, which is seagaltrials.com, S-E-G-A-L trials.com. And once you get there, it's pretty easy to find ways to like get in touch with us about okay. learning more about our studies. Um, there's also my Instagram, which uh, I'm not always super active on posting on, but I'm trying to do better in that, which is Dr. Scott Fisher, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-F-I-S. S-H-E-R.
1: I have a very active mental health Instagram, which is Holly Hearing Things. I really like alliteration. And I can also post that to my Instagram for people. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah perfect. That'd be wonderful. So it's always good, you know, depending on when people are, you know, hearing this uh, to, to know that what I tell you now. could be Yes, exactly. <laughs> what I tell you now could be very different, say six months, a year, two years from now. But what we have right now, as of June 2023, okay. is uh, we're actively enrolling uh, two studies with a, a number more to start. Uh, one of our main studies we're working on right now is the study of LSD to treat generalized anxiety disorder. Interesting. Another one is a study of psilocybin to treat treatment-resistant depression, and that is defined as actually medication-treatment-resistant depression, where okay. people have tried at least two antidepressants at adequate doses during their current episode of depression and have not gained a sufficient response to those drugs that they have tried. Um, We'll have another study of uh, 5-MeO-DMT for treatment-resistant depression starting, um, one in the fall likely starting of... N, or uh, can just kind of what's sometimes known as like the regular DMT,
2: yeah.
0: uh, which uh, occurs uh, naturally in ayahuasca Yeah. Um, for major depressive disorder. There's also a study of psilocybin for alcohol use disorder that we hope mm-hmm. will start soon. And actually, hopefully sometimes next year, we may have a, 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 what's known as the FDA phase one study. in. Um, uh, normal healthy volunteers, although I don't always like that verbiage, but that's kind of the, what's often used, um, of 5-MeO-DMT. So, um, and, and you know, we're in, in talks with a lot of other groups about other studies that hopefully we'll be able to participate on in years to come. We're really experiencing a lot of growth um, here. So if people are interested, please reach out to us. Yeah. Also, if there are therapists or mental health practitioners that want to learn more about, you know, potentially training and yeah. entering this field, that's also something else I'm open to people contacting me about. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so I think, you know, this has been such a pleasure to, mm-hmm. you know, share with you. And you know, I, I love talking about this stuff. We gave a pretty good summary. I you know, in my opinion, the best part of this whole experience has been hearing about what you happened with your psychedelic oh. experiences. So mm-hmm. I really want to thank you again for for sharing those because I really think that made this discussion come to life yeah. in certain ways for, for your listeners. And uh, yeah, maybe someday, um, you know, in the future, we can we can do this again, um, and I can give updates on the research, and maybe uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of topics we can explore that we could go into more detail on.
1: And I would absolutely love that because this has just been so great, and I just want to thank you so much for your time today, um, and being here. And I know that you're obviously very busy, so I just really appreciate it so much. And I hope that people um, who watch or listen will either change their minds about psychedelics or maybe become interested in possibly participating in the trials in South Florida. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I would like to reiterate, please reach out to us on our website, Yeah um or on my instagram dr scott fisher and yeah i would love to to come back and revisit some of these topics and explore new ones so thank you very much
1: thanks thank you everyone Bye. bye